Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hey, and welcome to the world's cricket show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm in the top job on the podcast and the leader of the opposition is Tony Kerr. Holding you to account, as always, challenging the actual absolute bunkum that you come up with. How's it going, Tony? Yeah, good, thanks. It's good to be back. Isn't it? It's been a while. <laughs> we seem to go into, like, the more cricket that happens, the less podcasts we do, <laughs> seems to be the pattern. Yeah, we sort of seem to go into hiding a bit, just a bit overwhelmed. Yeah, it's it's become quite an erratic schedule, hasn't it? Where we we did one a week for about five weeks, and then nothing for six weeks. Not quite as bad as the World Tennis Show <laughs> we did. I think we did one podcast, a two-year gap, then <laughs> two podcasts at the same Grand Slam, then a three-year gap. So, so uh, we're doing better than that. Just fill in the blanks, really. You join the dots. It's like a sort of Sudoku of podcast scheduling where we just give you a few bits here and there and then you just have to, you know, have to fill in, you know, fill in the rest of the, uh, the puzzle. Uh, but yeah, it is good to be back. It's good to be back in the flat. Quite a few of the podcasts in the summer we did on the beach. Um, not really an option today. Uh, winter is coming uh, and is indeed here and it's pretty miserable out there today. So we're, we're back in the flat. You know, it's good to be back. <laughs> good to be back in the flat. Who needs to be on the beach? Um, although... Notably, Tone, you didn't offer me a cup of tea today. No croissants either. That's it's been a, long been a dream of mine that I turn up and you'd have laid on a spread of croissants. But that that's the very last thing I should expect at the moment because you're currently engaged in a uh, biggest loser competition with a couple of friends of the pod, a couple of film pod boys. Yeah, I mean it's been a bit of a relentless summer of consumption. So yeah, we sort of agreed that we would have a bit of a reset, a sort of two month reset. You know try and save some money, lose some weight, yeah, you know, get a bit fitter. Stop eating out so, so much. Yeah, so we're one week into it. You were eating out to help out. We did, We helped a lot. <laughs> we really did help a lot. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, last week began, you know, I was trying to cut down on alcohol and stuff. I had four pints on Monday night, <laughs> five on Friday night. But, you know, we, we've re... Um, we recategorized last week as from week one to week zero, <laughs> yeah. which is the sort of, as I'm told, uh, I gather in the sort of special forces, I think if there's a kind of fitness or some, any sort of training program, the first week is known as week zero, a sort of to, to kind of ease yourself in. I'm sure that's not what happens <laughs> in the special forces. There's probably no easing in, but the sort of, you know, climatizing build up. Yeah. It. And it's certainly an appropriate comparison, <laughs> <laughs> the special forces, yeah. but yeah, no, it did make me laugh. You, there was, you guys did a big song and dance last week that you were starting this, you know, starting this competition. You did a weigh-in. Not enough trash talking at the weigh-in for me, but it's very genial weigh-in. <laughs> but yeah, then at the at the very end of the week on Sunday, I messaged and said, "Oh, can we get an update on how that's going?" And you replied and said, "We're reclassifying this week zero. Uh, so in other words, you haven't started. Yeah, 
This um, week's been very good, though, may I add. Yeah, well, it is Wednesday morning, but um, <laughs> but yes, that's good. No, good for you. Good to hear it. Well, you know, good luck with that. Cheers, mate. But we should probably move on uh, to talk about the cricket, because we have got a lot to talk about today. As we say, it, is, it has been a while since we did one of these, so there's... Yeah, loads of cricket to catch up on. I will be painstakingly grinding my way through some ball-by-ball match reports for all those T20s and ODIs that you've already forgotten about. But yeah, England's international summer uh, has come to an end. It's October tomorrow, so the summer is definitely over. We're going to be reflecting on all of that. The IPL's happening as well, so lots to talk about there. Uh, And we might uh, get round to tackling a few questions from listeners as well. And stay tuned till the end of the show. Uh, because you and I, Tone, uh, need to have uh, need to have a debrief about what happened last week when, rather unbelievably, uh, we were invited as guests of honour at the Sports Awards night at our old school. And on a related note, there's also been an extraordinary historical find, an archaeological find, uh, which yeah, which I'd like to dig into with you later as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, find that is quite literally shocked and stunned in equal measure. So it stunned the world. So yeah, looking forward to getting into all of that. But first, let's move on to the section in my notes marked content. Um, so since last we spoke, Tone, a lot of cricket has happened. So let's do a bit of a, as I say, this is kind of our end of summer review. Not really sure where to start. So the last time we spoke, we were talking about the test series with Pakistan. And that seemed to be kind of poised. We were very excited after a thrilling first test. We were very excited for the remainder of that so series. So excited we, did, we didn't return <laughs> to discuss it. For two months. But <laughs> but yeah, that well, one of the reasons for that is because that test series turned out to be a bit of a damp squib in the end, wasn't it? It was very much spoiled by the weather. Um, so we'll touch on that test series, but let's do that in a bit because a lot of cricket has happened since then. And maybe we could start by talking about that, by talking about the white ball series that came at the back end of the English summer. Started with some T20s against Pakistan. That series was drawn one all after the first game was washed out. That was this month, Tone, as we're recording this in September. The, the, the last of those T20s took place in September. That feels like a very long time ago, doesn't it? There's been a lot of cricket since then. Uh, so then after that, there was a T20 series against Australia, which England won, uh, with a remarkable collapse by Australia in the first game, followed by a comfortable victory for England in the second game, and then a, uh, and then a win for the Aussies in the dead rubber. Uh, and that was followed by an absolutely belting ODI series, which saw momentum kind of shifting from match to match with the Aussies winning the first game, England the second, and then the decider was a real thriller that went to the very last over uh, with Australia uh, running out winners by three wickets thanks to a partnership of 212 between Glenn Maxwell and Alex Carey. So we've had some pretty sensational cricket time. We've had some sensational individual performances from the likes of Sam Billings, Jofra Archer, Johnny Bairstow, Adil Rashid, Tom Curran, David Milan, Joss Butler on the English side, Mitchell Stark, Adam Zampa, as I mentioned, Maxwell and Carey for Australia, Mohammed Hafiz for Pakistan, if you can remember back that far, Haider Ali uh, on debut as well. It's been pretty terrific viewing, but the key question, what have you made of it? <laughs> I've kind of put words in your mouth there, terrific viewing. What, 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 have, what do you reckon? How much, how much have you enjoyed the cricket this summer, Tone? Give me a, give me a big picture view. Yeah, I mean, well, we, we've had lots to enjoy and far more probably to enjoy than anyone could have expected or, or hoped for, you know, back in probably March, April. Um, it seems weird to describe anything as a kind of a massive success, doesn't it? When, you know, there's no one been in the in the ground to watch it and um, and the, the ECB cutting jobs and, mm. and losing money and, and everything. But, you know, c- certainly in, 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 yeah, against expectations, a rip-roaring success 
and, and something to yeah something to to kind of enjoy and cherish really and, and as you, you know as we said has been a obviously a very uncertain and unsettling time so yeah i mean cre- credit to everyone involved in and in getting it on i mean it, it it's fair to say as you you know you, you just sort of whip through some of the stuff that happened it's chugged along at a fairly rampant pace hasn't it um and, and there's been some good, there's some really good stuff, and um, you know, the the matches between England and Australia, particularly um, at the end of the the summer, um, were fantastic and, and unpredictable and exciting, and as you say, some great individual performances. It, it seemed to get better as the summer went on, even though you know we said at the time that you know the England West Indies series that started it all was was really good, and um, but but actually the way it's finished has been really interesting, and it, it's kind of overlapping nicely with the IPL now, which is already. Um, delivering some big moments and some big matches. Um, so I, I, like against a really difficult backdrop, cricket on the field actually is is chuggy along at a nice pace. Yeah, I just think it's been brilliant. I, I said this to you the other night. I think of all the sports that I've seen post lockdown, I do think cricket has been comfortably the best. Now I probably would say that because it's my favourite sport. <laughs> you know, a uh, biased. Yeah, so much so that I do a podcast about it. But but I really do believe that i mean i've enjoyed the football and actually you know i might be changing my tune a little bit just in the sense that the the new season of the premier league has been absolutely magnificent so far it's been incredibly exciting you know what we saw in june and july of the premier league was to me was a little bit flatter but that may have just been because there wasn't as much to play for the tennis i found a bit flat you know and i've watched bits of golf and bits of rugby but the 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 cricket to me has been easily the best and we've I think it's partly for reasons that we talked about before, you know, before the start of any of this, that cricket does lend itself, I think, to not having a crowd in a way that some of those other sports don't. I don't think cricket needs a crowd in the same way. And, you know, even the sports where they're kind of piping in crowd noise, I like that, but it is, there is something artificial and slightly weird about it. You know, obviously there are, they are piping in crowd noise in cricket, but it's just a kind of low background hum. And that's, largely all you really need whereas in the US Open tennis where they weren't piping in any crowd noise it definitely does lose something when you know Dominic Team hits a winner and there's no reaction at all or when Dominic Team won the US Open and kind of falls flat on his back and it's to- you know completely it's just total silence there's quite a big loss from tennis there and cricket I don't think does suffer in the same way but also it's just been very good and it, it perhaps only through sheer good fortune it's just been an extremely exciting string of matches um, there's been so much to enjoy in this English summer. It, you know, it might, as I say, it might be nothing to do with the circumstances. It might be because of the fact that they're all bubbling together and that they're so kind of focused on their cricket. I, I have no idea. It's very, it's kind of too early to say, isn't it? It might be that this winter we see some much drabber fixtures. Um, it could be because the pitches were being reused and there was a bit more in it for the bowlers. What I, I don't know at this point, but for whatever the reason it was just very exciting cricket and I'm just very grateful to everyone involved for making it happen because I've loved it. I think in terms of the way things have developed over the summer, I mean, you'd imagine clearly that the players and everyone involved is, have kind of got used to that bubble set up and you know, maybe that the, the fact that they're kind of getting used to not having a crowd and getting used to the situation might be you know, slightly tempered by getting a bit bored of the bubble and I know, you know Joffre Archer has spoken about you know, he's probably uh, reaching his bubble limit mm. uh, somewhat, having spent, I think, something like 87 days 
you know, inside the bubble this summer, obviously is the IPL now and, you know, potentially tours to come. But yeah, but equally maybe, you know, there's a, uh, even though the situation is really, it's very hard to predict or, or even I think make a judgment on whether it's a positive or negative situation at the moment, kind of countrywide, but certainly over the summer, yeah, maybe maybe players are just getting a bit more relaxed about the whole thing and, and, and any kind of uncertainty there was perhaps when they first came back onto the pitch has sort of ebbed away a bit. Now that, as you say, that might change and things might look quite different in a couple of months. But yeah, at least for now, that, that's the way I've seen it. So turning then to the action itself, you know, to the action on the field, how do you rate England's white ball teams at the moment? You know, how, from what you've seen this summer, well, we, there's a question, I suppose, where it's even fair or sensible to, to draw too many judgments from the action this summer. But from what you've seen this summer, where do you think they sit at the moment? How much has changed since last year's World Cup win? Are you as confident about their chances in the T20 World Cup next year as you or we perhaps were? You know, where do you think they are on their trajectory towards the defence of their title in their 50 over title in 2023? Assuming that those tournaments go ahead. Yeah. What do you reckon? Uh, it's, it is hard to say. I mean, I, I think we, you know, we, we said at the, the beginning of the summer that, that I think most, mostly you would give people free passes this year. Um, Do you think that still holds? Were, were we right about that? Slightly. Yeah, I think slightly. I mean, I mean, I think certainly in terms of negative performances, I think there are, there are players there that have put in good performances, which, you know, who have maybe moved the needle a bit on, on where they are in the, um, in the overall kind of scheme of things. But yeah, no, I think England are going, going along pretty well, to be honest. Uh, there will be a lot of teams in contention, clearly when the, the T20 World Cup happens, you know, that, that's going to be a, a very competitive tournament. I don't know how, how you, if you could say England are, are streets ahead or... Uh, yeah, I think things are, are moving along pretty nicely. Like, like they chopped and changed a little bit. They had some players who weren't available towards the latter end of the summer. You know, obviously Ben Stokes wasn't there. And, you know, as we've, talked about length has become the match changing game winner uh, in England's lineup across all formats so yeah you know Adil Rashid is is really really coming on isn't he Sam Billings made it made his maiden century you know he's been a bit of a bit part player obviously over the last few years but you know you look at the strength and depth the options there I th- yeah I think they'll be pretty satisfied going into uh, going into the winter you can make an argument that they that they've improved from last year in the sense that, you know, well, obviously the batting has been imperious for a long time and continues to be so. Someone like Billings has come in and, you know, really kind of illustrated how much depth there is there and Tom Banton's floating around as well. But but then the bowling attack actually seems to be getting better. As you say, Rashid is still doing the business. Wokes is arguably performing as well as he ever has. Um, likewise, Mark Wood, you know, Archer was, was brilliant. You know, it seems to be more uh, comfortable in white ball cricket at the moment than test cricket. What's, is something beeping? I think it's just the dishwasher's finished. Okay. Um, and you can throw Tom Curran in there as well. You know, there is maybe one weakness in that team now, though, which perhaps wasn't there before, which is in the number seven spot. You know, it used to be Moeen Ali was batting at seven. And at least in theory, he was a frontline batsman. And, you know, England had frontline batsmen all the way down to seven and a strong tail. Whereas now, you know, because Moeen, <laughs> let's not get into it, but, you know, I think you, I think you probably can say somewhat safely that he's, a, you know, I don't want to use the word spent force, but he's struggling at the moment, isn't he? So And seems to be kind of falling out of, of contention. So that means that batting at seven now, it's either Curran or Wokes. And decent batsmen though they are, you know, that's probably a place too high for them. So there, you know, there's maybe an issue there because if, they, if England do lose a couple of early wickets, 
guys who are coming in and maybe a little bit more anxious, a little bit more jumpy because they know they haven't got quite the same amount of depth. But, you know, I think things do look pretty good, you'd have to say at the moment, despite the fact that they did lose this series to Australia, um, the first bilateral ODI series of more than one match that they've lost in, I think, five years. Yeah, I mean, the, the only flip side to that, I guess, is that, you know, obviously Australia won um, the first ODI. Obviously, the third one was very tight. The second one, England really got away with it slightly. Or did Australia throw it away? Did England turn it around in kind of miraculous fashion? A bit of both. Um, but, you know, that, that possibly could have got... It, it, things might have looked slightly different. Pretty fine margins. And clearly, yeah. Australia have got some some outstanding players in their, in their side and... Well, they do, although my brother did text me at some point, I think during one of the T20s, and, say, and said, this is the worst Australian team I've seen in all my years sporting cricket. Now, I I don't think that's fair or true. And as you say, there are some world-class players in there, but it's I wouldn't necessarily put Australia right at the top of the tree in terms of England's rivals um, for the big white ball tournaments. So the fact they've lost that series, I suppose, is a concern. But it is only three games. You know, it is very specific circumstances this year, and they really could and should have won that third game you know on another day but for that extraordinary partnership they would have done so yeah lots to be encouraged about still I think one interesting question that's kind of arisen uh, in these games is if, if, if you were if you're picking an England ODI team at the moment or an England T20 team and you've got everyone available does Joe Root get in it he, he wouldn't be in my T20 team 100% um he just hasn't done enough, has he? So, uh, and I don't think that's any necessary slight on him. So that's at the moment as well. You know, possibly, you know, in a couple of years, he may be in contention to be in the T20 team, but um, uh, not not for me at the moment. Yeah, that's a little bit of a no-brainer, I think, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's not. It's, it is a bit unfair on Root because people say, well, you know, he's, what has he done in T20? Well, he he does average thirty-five in T20 internationals. He did play that. Um, incredible match-winning innings uh, against South Africa at the last T20 World Cup, which kept England in that tournament. They obviously went to the, ended up going to the final. It, you know, he's got a decent record in, in T20 international. It's just that there are lots of other options who are, you know, who have better records, who are better. And right now, as Ed Smith said, there's no point in him even being in the squad. He's not going to be in the first choice eleven. So you may as well give him a break and and leave him out of your plans for that. But just. And one more thing, you know, with Root, you know, I think in T20s now, you do need to be clearing the ropes as often as possible. It seems quite obviously a very simple thing to say. But yeah, he, he just isn't that kind of player, is he, who's going to be explosive and, and you know, rotating the strike or whatever, you know, or, or the, the, obviously Root is more than that. But, you know, he, he, you know you'd see him maybe like 10 years ago as a T20 player, he'd have been in the, in the setup and been asked just to, yeah, kind of score, a, you know, a runner ball and, and make sure you get your big hitters on. Mm. But nowadays, I think it's just, you need explosion, explosion. You need explosive pitting just from top to bottom, don't you? He does score a little bit more than a runner ball. It's, it's worth saying. I think his, his strike rate is 126. But compared to the other guys in that team, that's about 20, 25 runs per 100 balls lower. I think one thing that's happened in the last couple of years that that kind of settles this debate is that Joss Butler has become a top-order batsman in T20 cricket. So your top three now is Roy Besto Butler in some combination. Then you're going to have Morgan, then you're going to have Stokes. Is Root going to bat at six? You know, that doesn't make any sense. So he just isn't, he doesn't get in that team. Well, and, and David Milan, well, he's yeah, now the top-ranked player in the, in the world. David Milan should be in there as well. So, you know, so it's a tricky question how you can get those guys in before you before you talk about Root. So I, as I said, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer at this point that Root isn't in the T20 squad. But what about the 50-over team? 
there's probably more room for him there. Um, well, I mean, even that is possibly a little bit glib in the sense that on one level it's a fairly absurd discussion because he averages 50 in ODI cricket with 1600s. But you know, the direction of travel is, is, isn't for players like him, is it, unfortunately? Um, I don't know whether it's harsh to say he's, you know, he's, he's delivering under his potential because, he, yeah, obviously as, as England test captain and, and everything, he's, you know, he's got a lot going on. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, no, I probably would have him in my team at the moment. Yes, although as we've just as we've just said, England have so many batting options, and and Billings has come in now. And how do you accommodate everybody? And you're not going to leave out Bairstow, Roy, Butler, Morgan, Stokes. So in that top six, the only one where there's even a question is Root. And if you do want to get Milan in or or Billings, then surely he's the the one to go. I mean, Billings has Billings. There's a quote from Billings not long ago saying, you know, that England ODI team is probably the hardest team in sport to get into. <laughs> But there is maybe just that crack in the in the door now, because although, as I say, that Root's overall record is so formidable, you know that that average is fifty, but it is going down. So uh, since the start of twenty nineteen, which is twenty eight matches, his average drops to forty four, which is still you know still very good, but not quite as sensational. And it actually in Test cricket in the same period, he's averaging thirty eight. So. It might be fair to say that his batting uh, on the wane might be a bit harsh because it could just be a, a patch, but he is not producing really in quite the same way. And so the fact this is even a debate, I, I probably, you know, I would still have him in the ODI team because I think he still has a useful role in that sort of anchor position. If, if England lose a couple of early wickets, would you rather have Joe Root walking out or Sam Billings walking out? I think you want Root, don't you? Like to some extent, it's quite. It's a bit one-dimensional if you've just got explosive player after explosive player. But yeah, the fact that it's even a debate, I, I can't really imagine having a conversation about leaving out Williamson or Smith or Coley from their respective teams. And Root's supposed to be in that company, so it is. It's 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 kind of a worrying thing for Root and England that this is even being talked about on something as prestigious as the World Cricket Show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's been coming for a while, hasn't it? It's. Um... Yeah, I think it does sort of speak to the the length of time that Root's perhaps been off the boil. So, yeah. So that's the white ball stuff. As I mentioned, the it's, it feels like a very long time ago now. It is a very long time ago, but, the, but that pa- uh, Pakistan Test series, it was just a real shame. Uh, it was, yeah. The, 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 my my main sort of feeling about that series now is just a, it was just a shame because the weather intervened. It was all set up for a cracking series, and it just didn't really happened because yeah the the second test was almost entirely washed out the third test there's more action but um but ultimately um rain put pay to any chances of a result and in particular it was a shame for Pakistan who obviously put themselves through a lot in coming to England and bubbling and in the end didn't get nearly as much uh time in the middle as they uh would have been expecting as I say there was really very little play in the second test there was a bit more play in the third and really kind of two big headlines well, two big things jump out from that game. The first one, the double century scored by Zach Crawley, who made 267, his, his maiden test century, and he turned into a double. Be fair to say, Tone, that it's uh, one of the most impressive performances by a young English batsman in, in a very long time. I know this is a long time ago now, Tone. I don't know if you can remember that innings, but it was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Uh, a, a star is born? Is that is that going too far? Well, uh, yeah, it was very, very impressive knock. And as you say, it's probably been a little while, hasn't it, since we've seen something like that. So great to see him kind of take that opportunity. And 
and and really step up. Um, there's been players who've threatened to kind of really bed in over the last few years, uh, and and Cordy's probably at this stage where he's you know he's just on the verge of doing that. So good for him. I suppose we wouldn't want to get carried away in the sense that in the way that perhaps some are in that he does need to back it up. You know, it's obviously not a criticism or he, he hasn't had an opportunity yet to back it up. But before we kind of rush to two sweeping conclusions, you know, it's worth remembering that Rob Key made a double hundred in test cricket for all that he was a good player. Didn't go on to, to have much of a test career after that. Karen Nair made a triple hundred against England a few years back. Hasn't been seen since. One innings doth not butter no parsnips or whatever the expression is. But I suppose the difference here is A, that it was against a very good attack. We talked about how good that Pakistan bowling attack was. And B, that he's 22. He's so young. It's so encouraging to see some. He's still got, he's still going to develop. He's still got so much potential to improve. So, um, and there's definitely no doubting his talent. If you, know, if you watch that innings back, you watch highlights of that innings back, just the, it's just front foot drive after back foot drive. It's, you know, it's great to watch. And it's, yeah, it's a very exciting moment for England fans. And the other big thing from that game, and you may not have heard about this time because not many people picked up on it, uh, was that Jimmy Anderson took his 600th test wicket. Did you hear about that? Uh, yeah, I got vague, kind of caught wind of it, but I didn't really look into uh, into the situation. Look into the details. We don't need to have a massive conversation about this because I, I think, you know, I sort of made my feelings fairly clear when we talked about Broad getting his 500th. The key takeaway is that I just find it incredibly tedious, you know, all the fanfare about it. I suppose it's 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 just a good opportunity to reflect on how good Jimmy Anderson is and has been. But I feel like that's a conversation we have a lot. So, yeah, is, I don't, it, I mean, is it needed? I think it was, yeah, it was, it was obviously very, very significant. Um, you know, the first fast bowler to, to get to six. I mean, it whether i don't know it, again as we discussed when broad got there you know it's very much just a number yeah um he could well get to 700 yeah um and well there was, there was no there was no there's no jeopardy there's no f- sense that he's not going to get that that's one of the things that bothered me is that all the bbc sport headlines was like anderson hunts 600th wicket now i get that he may not have got it that day but he would have got it the next game it's not like england hunt wickets in search of victory it's just Will he get it today or will he get it in a few months' time? Yeah. It's just, it just doesn't interest me that much. And it's not that I don't think it's a significant achievement. It absolutely is. But just seeing, you know, commentators and pundits kind of leaping up and punching the air or saying that it's the thing they most, that most excited them in the game or that they all most remember. It's just, I just feel like you're missing the point of, <laughs> of sport if that's the thing that yeah. gets you most excited. And as we talked about with Broad, much as it is a phenomenal achievement, just number of wickets isn't really the right measure or it definitely shouldn't be the only measure when it comes to sort of uh, ranking test bowlers in history. And one of the reasons for that is because, you know, Anderson's had such a long career. He's played for so long. He's played so many matches that to a certain extent, of course, you're going to get a lot of wickets. But then maybe it is the longevity that is what's so impressive. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the point. The fact that he has been able to stay at this level, you know, for so many matches and so many years. He made his debut. Now, this is worth reflecting on every so often. He made his debut in May 2003. Tony Blair was Prime Minister with another four years to go. George W. Bush was in his first term as US President. And God forbid, but we might be heading for the second term of the President after the President after him. Andrew Strauss was a year away from making his debut. Alistair Cook was three years away from making his debut. And Zach Crawley was five years old. 
So yes, that that is quite impressive that he's still going at this point. We did have a good tweet um, from a listener named Roger Grace. This was this was like two months ago now, um, but uh, <laughs> well, his tweet came in after our chat about Broad, and he'd actually done uh, he'd done he'd done some homework. He'd done some kind of statistical investigation. You know, he says himself, he's like I, I said it was very impressive, and he said I don't think I'll be taking Zaltzman's job anytime soon. But I always enjoy looking at stats, at stats couched in a little more context. So he said, so much more to be factored in. But when rendered as wickets per innings, uh, Murali took 800 wickets in 230 innings, which is 3.48 wickets per innings. Warren took 708 in 273 innings. That's 2.59 wickets per innings. Kumble 2.62 wickets per innings. Jimmy, 2.06 wickets per innings. McGrath, 2.32. So... In that top five bowlers by number of wickets, uh, Jimmy is easily, you know, has got easily the lowest ratio. And he picked out a few other kind of notable ones. So Stain at 2.57 compared to Jimmy 2.06. Herath at 2.55. Richard Hadley at 2.87. Graham Swan at 2.34. Yasser Shah at 3.04. So only behind Murali there. And then this is a very interesting one for me. Darren Goff, 229 wickets in 95 innings, 2.41. If Darren Goff had played 140 tests, would he have taken a lot more than 600 wickets? But then, yeah, he obviously wouldn't have played. If he could have played 140 tests, he would have done, I suppose. So, But yeah, well, I don't know. What do you make of all of that, Tone? Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a really valid point because, you know, and, and lots of people spoke about it yeah, pretty early on in his career, didn't they? Uh, you know about his action and you know how far his head would come over and said, well, you know his back's going to be broken, you know, before too long. Uh, and obviously that that didn't come to pass. And he's he, the way he's obviously managed his career, and he has had injuries, hasn't he? And and, and you know it is, it is astonishing longevity, really, when you think about it. I just just look at his, the the team he played with in his ODI debut. Okay, yeah, go on. So actually, that was even before May yeah, 2003, that was wasn't it? The December the 15th, 2002. Hang on. H- how can, many can you name? Yeah. Nick Knight. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Shoskothic. Well, that's your openers. Uh, Hussain. Captain. Um, Stewart. Keeper. Um, th- no, not Thorpe. Um, let's go with... Oh, God. It gets more difficult now. Caddick. Oh, God. Tony's shaking his head, by the way, just <laughs> <laughs> for the benefit of the listeners. Um, I'm struggling a bit now. Number three. Oh, Ronnie Arani. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Run out for a duck in that one. Uh, go on. Uh, well, Croft? Go on. No, I'll, I'll dig you go out on, here. Put me out of my misery. Uh, O.A. Shah batted mm. five. Uh, Ian Blackwell was the spinner. That is a yeah. Uh, that would have taken me a long time. To and get then there. the other three were Craig White, Gareth Batty, and James Kirtley. I think, yeah, Blackwell and Kirtley, it would have taken me a very long time to get to. Uh, I think probably the, the right time to reflect on a career is when he retires. Exactly. So. Just, just while we're on the subject of retirement, we probably should mention a couple of England, I was going to say a couple of England legends who've retired. One England legend and one, someone who's, I just think it's got a quirky place in England uh, test cricket history. Ian Bell, obviously retired, and Graham Onions. Well. <laughs> yeah true I, I, i'd say onions is an england legend he's yeah. certainly been involved in a couple of you know legendary moments it's unbelievable that onions only played nine tests ridiculous because yeah as you say he was involved in, a, in some some great moments and also 
he'll almost, I think, first, he's always going to be talked about whenever anyone mentions the ball wobbling. Yeah. He'll be talked about, like, well, yeah, you know, onions wobbled the ball. So I think, I think, he's, I think he'll always be remembered for that. Yeah, he, uh, you're right. He does kind of, he looms much larger in kind of English cricket consciousness than nine tests would suggest. And, and yeah, Bell, wait, what is it now, five years since he played his last test? I mean, I, at the time, I thought that was a bit premature to kind of cut him loose from test cricket. I think he, you know, he was well out of form then, but I think he, he could have come back at some point. Uh, but is, I think, am I right in saying he's the last um, 2005 Ashes hero or, or indeed player on either side to retire? You know, he absolutely is an England legend, isn't he? And will go down as one of the best English batsmen of, of this era. He well, and had he played in a an earlier era, he he would have been head and shoulders above anyone else. He just happened to play an era where he spent a lot of time at number six because uh, you know it was a very strong top order. But um, being, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, one of the most eye catching batsmen on his day. And I, like he did have his troubles, didn't he? And I think some people will, some people will will kind of always bring those up. <laughs> I've just brought it up, I suppose. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think you, you know, in terms of his contribution uh, as part of that team, what he, he won five Ashes series. Which is kind of really all five Ashes series that England have won in our lifetimes. To be fair, England did win um, uh, the Ashes series, didn't they? In eighty six, eighty seven. Not my lifetime. The mate. last, well, exactly in my lifetime. Then, so <laughs> in, our, in my conscious lifetime. Yeah, and the twenty thirteen Ashes, he won like almost single handedly. Uh, he was absolutely pivotal to that victory. So, um, yeah, and as you say, one of the most kind of aesthetically pleasing batsman of his generation it it did you're right it took it took him a while to get going didn't it like he definitely it was sort of a byword at one point you know in sort of 2017 it was a byword for like frustrate you know he just kind of frustrated everybody with having so much talent and not being able to deliver but you know eventually he switched it on and and boy did he deliver as they say so yeah a big miss a big loss to english cricket although yeah as i say it is i think five years since he last played test so in terms of international cricket that loss has already happened, but it is, yeah, sad to see him go. And it is, it is the passing of an era, really, isn't it? It's the end of that 2005 era. True. And he, he played his whole career at Warwickshire as well. I mean, you know, to make that kind of bigger contribution, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, obviously deserves a lot of respect. Another England legend, Alistair Cook, um, played a match-winning hand in, in winning Essex, the uh, uh, Bob Willis Trophy. I haven't really got much to say about that, but just something worth, uh, worth noting. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the, the cricket has been relentless in many ways, isn't it, over the last few weeks we've had... Is the blast still the going blast on? blast is still going. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched much of that, I have to say. As you say, uh, we've had the the Bob Willis trophy, um, the Rachel Hey Flint trophy as well has been going alongside it. There's The CPL's happened, the IPL has started, obviously all of that international cricket in England. Well, we'll come on to the IPL in a minute, but just to, just to wrap up on this English summer, I mean, it, it feels like a pretty successful summer, for England, I think would be fair to say overall, certainly in terms of, you know, the compared to the expectations, whereas, as you say, we, we were, we were worried about the, the quality of the cricket and the, you know, and how exciting it was likely to be. Um, it ended up being a fantastic summer and a, and a successful one for England on the pitch, but it could easily have been very different. I mean, they did lose that first test of the summer against the West Indies. They had to work extremely hard to turn that series around. They lost one of the ODIs to Ireland they beat Pakistan in the Test Series, but could easily have lost the first Test were it not for that incredible Wokes-Butler partnership. And then they would have lost the series. Um, would have been unjust given you know how dominant they were in the third game. But still, they drew the T20s with Pakistan and then they lost their first 
bilateral ODI series for for five years. So, how successful a summer was it? You know, could it has it been as successful as it seems? Or yeah, are these even the wrong? Are these unfair questions to be asking, Tony? What do you think? You're you're rolling your eyes. Like no, you no, no. I think probably they are. I, I think it, yeah, I think it has been a, a success. Um, yeah, I think we should just enjoy it. And um, yeah, and, and reconvene in a, in a few months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we'll reconvene sooner than that. No, but I do. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. It, it is hard to be too judgmental about anything. I think at the moment on on a sports field. I know people. You know, people have snapped kind of straight back. You know, you look at the kind of the chat around the Premier League football. Season, you know, it, it's it's it is. You know, it, sport does operate in its own bubble anyway, doesn't it? Sort of regardless of what else is going on, people will mm. still be furious or elated or. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, and no, I think obviously, I think I think it has been a tremendous success for England overall. Uh, yeah, and you know, we said you know the West Indies came with with one of their sort of better sides for many years. Pakistan have also come over with, with a really good team, and and then you know to 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 play Australia in in what has been a couple of cracking white ball series. Yeah, just come out on top in one, just come out you know on the wrong side in another. Yeah, I think they'll take that. And there have been some extremely sort of positive developments and extremely good individual performances as well we talked about Crawley Sibley uh in the test side as well Butler um who we you know expressed some some doubts about earlier in the summer but he did do very well in test cricket Billings Broad in test cricket um Anderson taking that 600th wicket I don't know if you noticed Archibald very well in in the white ball games so yeah and I think we as we say the the white ball teams look strong um, despite the slightly mixed results. Uh, and then in Test cricket, I think there are reasons to be much more optimistic as an England fan than there were a year ago. So yeah, I, I, I you know, I kind of played devil's advocate a bit there before then because I, you know, I do think it has been a, a successful and, uh, you know, encouraging summer. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today for England we've touched on the IPL quite a remarkable start to the tournament this year uh, I actually I did actually watch time the end of the second match I just happened to flick it on uh, the second game between Delhi Capitals and Kings 11 Punjab which ended in a super over quite a remarkable finale uh, with Marcus Stoinis holding his nerve with the ball uh, and yeah Delhi Capitals ultimately uh, emerging the winners we've seen some remarkable batting an extraordinary performance with the bat from Joffre Archer, which feels slightly surprising given that he's, you know, not done much with the bat for England, but, um, can, you know, certainly, well, what did it, was it four sixes in a row? Yeah. It was just some brilliant commentary from Mark Nicholas in that. Uh, I think it was the, the fourth six, which, which definitely seemed to be the biggest. 
absolutely huge. But yeah, Nicholas with just the, oh, Joffre. <laughs> yeah, just exactly what you want to I hear. I do love a bit of Mark Nicholas, I have to say. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Nor should you be. Um, so yeah, have you enjoyed what you've seen so far, Tim? Oh, I mean, the, yes, in short. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Let's reconvene in a month or so. And I'll ask you the question again. Um, yeah, clearly a lot of the IPL is is about the you know the crowds and the, the sort of utter carnage in the stands um which they clearly don't have now but the you know the players seem to be delivering um despite that there have been some unbelievable bits of play haven't there? i mean we, we've got to talk about the the um the bit of fielding from puran on the oh, boundary my god it was just ludicrous i mean if listeners haven't seen this or don't know what we're talking about i would thor- i would suggest that they stop what they're doing and uh, delete the podcast <laughs> and look for and go search for this on on twitter yeah. or elsewhere on the i can't imagine you've missed it if you've been online in the last week or the last few days i mean it, yeah it's just astonishing a, a huge uh aerial shot he's on the boundary the ball drops probably i don't know three feet beyond the boundary maybe four or five feet and it's kind of coming over his right shoulder he dives full length catches it over his right shoulder. I mean, he takes the ball. He's already horizontal pretty much, or maybe at like sort of 15 degrees and not far off the ground and just absolutely wings it, wings his arm or his hand kind of back under him um, to flick it into safety and, and stop the six. It's just, I mean, we've become used to players doing remarkable things on the boundary in terms of, yeah, kind of palming balls back for for teammates to catch and all that kind of stuff but i think just as an example of ludicrous athleticism and hand-eye coordination timing i don't yeah i don't think i've seen better i don't think in terms of a bit of boundary fielding as he take i mean it's it would it would have been a ludicrous catch just to hold the catch even yeah. if he'd just fallen into you know fallen over the boundary for six but yeah to 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 kind of switch off your instinct to yeah. break your fall as you flick because you know the the ground is like you know the the, the grass is i don't know two feet away from his face as he's him. flicking the ball um yeah i, I don't know how you do say, that to just have the presence of mind to, to think to do that it's Absolutely astonishing. I have seen a few people say, you know, oh, for all that, that is an incredible piece of athleticism that it, it shouldn't uh, count or, you know, that it, it should have been six anyway because, you know, some people feel, well, if it goes over the rope, even if it's in the air, you know, if it's left the 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 field of play, that it should be a six and that any of these boundary catches that we see where someone kind of leaps up, catches it and throws it back to someone else to catch, shouldn't count as a catch but yeah i just don't agree with that at all as much as there might be a logic to that do you really want to deny do you want to not have that in the game do you do you not want to see things like that just yeah it just doesn't seem to make sense to me it's one of the most exciting things you'll ever see in cricket why would you want to kind of stop the the possibility of that yeah exactly I completely agree. Ludicrous to suggest even that that should be. So, because, but then, it was, so how would you deal with it? You know, you'd have to have like Hawkeye on the boundary to deem if it had passed the rope. And so I just yeah, it seems to make it's, impossible it's, to administer. It's much more straightforward, isn't it, to say if it touches the ground, it's a six. So, yeah, I know I'm I'm loving it. I love stuff like that. Hey, by the way, hey, by the way, Tone, 
Um, your ra- beloved Rajasthan Royals are sitting pretty at the top of the IPL table. Admittedly, they've only played two games so far. We've only had 11 matches, uh, but they are top. I was going to say it. Well, I wasn't, yeah, I was going to say it. Um, yeah, we absolutely uh, thumped. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely thumped your Kings eleven. Yeah, uh, in a, just an unbelievable match on Sunday. Have you, did you see this? Uh, yeah, well, Kings eleven uh, smashed two hundred twenty three, and Rajasthan chased it down. Was that the highest chase in IPL history? Highest IPL chase. They did it with three balls to spare, which is unbelievable because they needed. I should have jotted down the the numbers, but I, yeah, I think they needed something like 80 off sort of 29 balls or something like that. They, they scored a, a ludicrous number of runs off the last five overs. Um, that, you know, Sanju Sampson kind of got them on the way, 85 from 42 balls, seven sixes in, in that. And then Rahul Tuatia in the end, I mean, he, he, I think he was about seven off 17 balls or something like that. He was really, he really wasn't doing the job. And then he just absolutely destroyed um, Sheldon Cottrell, I think he hit five sixes off his over. Yeah, Sheldon uh, Cottrell one for 52 off three overs. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. What's that? So he, Michael, he finished- Scott, uh, Michael Scott gift. <laughs> <laughs> he so finished that. 53 off 31 with seven sixes as well. Um, yeah, just ludicrous hitting. Uh, you know, Sanju Sampson's a brilliant player to watch and he, you know, he was just, you know, the way he creams it through the offside for six, kind of like it's, there's no issue at all. Uh, it's brilliant, and then then Twati, yeah, came the left hander came in and just swatted ball after ball of Cottrell for six. So, yeah, it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, turn. I'm not normally very keen on the IPL, but I have to say, uh, I'm more into it this year. It's very welcome. Just give me any cricket. Um, so I, I am enjoying. It. I mean, I uh, yeah, as I say, it's more something that I flick on for 20 minutes, half an hour, rather than something that is appointment viewing for me. But I am I am enjoying it for what it is. Um, so all it took was a pandemic for me to get into the IPL. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we, you know, when we picked out our, you know, our allegiances all the way back in. Yeah. 10 years ago. 2010. Yeah. You know, we, we were, we were, would it, would it be fair to say crestfallen having, having been dealt the Royals <laughs> and the Kings 11 Punjab, yeah. um, who had pretty mediocre looking teams. Now you look at the, you know, the Rajasthan Royals team, see loving it. Joss Butler, Steve Smith, you know, Sanji Sampson, as we said, Joffre Archer, blockbuster. All right, Tom, I think that will probably do uh, in terms of proper cricket. But before we go, uh, we really need to talk about what happened last week. As I teased at the top of the show, uh, we were invited as guests of honour to the annual sports awards night at our old school. Can you explain, Tom, how did we end up doing this? I don't know. Um, why were we why were we chosen to do this? What have uh, we achieved? Well, that- I think it was very delicately put by the uh, head of sport at, at Elizabeth College. He approached um, you, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, you know, in the past few years, they've had kind of, you know, sort of former peoples who've gone on to be professional footballers and, and whatnot, um, or, you know, international athletes, I think. Very much, I think, the way it was pitched to me is that, that he wanted... Um, someone or you know it, or a couple of people like us to come in and and kind of show the kids that doesn't matter how hopeless you were um, at sport you can still enjoy it and you can still get something out of it which I think we adequately um, kind of got over to the kids yeah well, <laughs> yeah that's probably fair I mean we, yeah we were there so we ended up you know mostly talking about our cricket team which we talked about a lot on the podcast you know did an episode about the Isle of Wight tour not very long ago 
but yeah, I, I just couldn't believe it. You forwarded me the message from, the, <laughs> from that teacher saying, would we come in and, and give this talk, give this speech at the sports awards? Um, one thing I would say is that I wouldn't say it was like uh, a first class piece of organisation from you in that you forwarded me a screenshot of that message and I replied, haha, what did you say? And you didn't reply. And then like 10 days later, Elena, my partner, who also works at that school said, oh, Tom's just asked me if you're looking forward to Tuesday night. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we ended up, I ended up being committed with, you know, without realising it. Yeah, I thought there was any way to get you on the stage. <laughs> it went well. I mean, we had a little bit of a spiel prepared, which um, we, we were kind of thrown slightly at the start by the, the format. Um, well, I, thought we, I thought we we pulled it around. Didn't he say right. I felt very out of place because it was all about, you know, this kind of inspirational, you know, former pupils, as I say, Cameron uh, and Alistair Chalmers are both um, Olympic runners. Lots of other great athletic performances being mentioned. <laughs> he said that um, the teacher had said to you, you'd asked him what the format was going to be. And he'd said to you, well, I'll start with a, a little video clip from Nelson Mandela and then it'll be <laughs> yeah. over to you guys. <laughs> so I did feel that we might have been, you know, the wrong choice. Anyway, this is be pleased to know that um, it actually went all right. Uh, we, there were a couple of teachers there who used to, used to teach us and they were still present um, who enjoyed it, I think. And actually, since then, the the teacher in question who organised it for us has said um, we've been asked to come back to do a whole school assembly, which is mad. <laughs> so anyway, that's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I did say <laughs> looking to, forward to it. I did say to you, I'm happy to do that as long as they don't mind us using exactly the same material because I'm not right. You know, I'm not writing anything else. Uh, I, I, yeah, I felt particularly out of place because you are at least you work in sport, don't you? You're, you know, for listeners who aren't aware, and what and who, are there any out there who aren't aware that you're the uh, sports reporter for ITV in the Channel Islands? Whereas my only connection to sport is this: um, <laughs> the, the principal of the school. We were introduced by the sports teacher to the principal, and she was kind of like, "Sorry, who are you?" <laughs> he said, "Yeah, they do this podcast about cricket. It's very renowned." <laughs> And we both burst out laughing. Um, but as you say, uh, uh, yeah, a couple of our old teachers who are still knocking around, one of them came up to me afterwards, our old geography teacher, and was like, I really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that, guys. Yeah, it was really great to hear about, you know, your uh, cricketing exploits and things. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. And he's like, yeah, it was, it was basically just two people who know each other really well, just wittering on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not sure that's, yeah, slightly less convinced about that review. It was very hard to gauge, yeah, what the reaction would be. Because basically, you know, we were sort of somewhat taking the mick because we've, we had a very infamous and inglorious cricket career at college. Um, as you say, I, I did think you know some some parents at the back might have been sort of shaking their heads and and kind of you know tutting at the uh, you know that we're sort of besmirching the good the good name <laughs> of the sports program at Elizabeth College, but um, yeah, it did seem to go down all right. I was gonna say it felt like when we got there, I felt like we're turning up to do Dragon's Den. That was that was I, I've, that's about the sort of level of my nerves going into it. <laughs> a dragon's den pitch that we just hadn't prepared for and that we knew no one would invest in. We're not prepared at all. Um, but we mainly, yeah, we mainly talked about our um, cricketing mishaps. And speaking of which, something fairly extraordinary has emerged, Tone, in the last couple of weeks. So we've talked about on the show, as I say, not long ago, we we 
did almost a whole episode about our tour to the Isle of Wight in 2001 when we got bowled out for 22. But amazingly, that was not the low point because a couple of weeks after the tour, uh, we played a match on our home ground uh, and were bowled out for 13. So over to you here, Tony. Well, yeah, and and just completely out of the blue, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, a WhatsApp message appeared from uh, a friend and uh, a long I was going to say, listen to the show. I don't know if he listens to the show. But yeah, the, the, the scorecards from that day have surfaced, unbelievably. I think um, Jamie Nussbaumer must have stowed them away at some point. God knows why. Uh, and yeah, and, and discovered them in a, a pile of stuff he was clearing out. Remarkable find. Anyway, I'll, I'll give you a few of the, the highlights. Um, you, you know, some of these players might be listening now. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was Guernsey against Maudlin. And just worth prefacing, by the way, I know I know you're going to go through it, but Maudlin batted first. And, you know, what really sticks out in my mind is that we actually thought that we were going to win that game because we did, we bowled and fielded quite well and restricted them to not very many. And we were like, we can, we're going to bloody win this, lads. We're going to win a game. So, yeah, we restricted Maudlin to 90 for nine from 35 overs, which, as you say at the time, we were absolutely buoyant about. And there's one wicket in particular that I, I vividly remember, which um, turned out to be... Uh, their number four, who was um, who we got out for two, bold Nussbaumer caught David Knight. I remember a, this. Yeah, uh, at the time, I mean, we were obviously ripping through them at that point, <laughs> um, and it was like a really powerful pull shot straight to to Dave Knight at square leg. And I just, I'll never forget his face. <laughs> just looked absolutely terrified, and then elated as he uh, as he sort of clung on. Yeah, and it was proper like sort of celebration. You know, when when celebrations are like angry. It was like it was literally like, yeah, come on! It was like Rafa Nadal <laughs> you know, winning the French Open. It was, yeah, yeah. It was it was electric that moment. I'm yeah. just um, just um, <laughs> running my eye over the the bowling figures. Uh, certain A Bayfield bowled five overs, one for twenty three. I mean, this is one of the most notable things to come out of this archaeological find because I actually had quite a good game. Five overs, two wides in there. Well, we don't need to talk about that. But five overs, one for twenty-three, and then you know, yes, I got a duck, but I was batting eleven. So, what do you expect? So, I thought you did well. Um, Long-time listeners will be, uh, you know, will be used to hearing the the name Gordon McRae, London correspondent. Uh, Three overs from him, naught for twenty-one. So, uh, yeah, not such a good game. Did all right, but anyway, the real magic comes when you look at uh, our batting card. Guernsey against Maudlin, 10th of July, 2001. I mean, that is that's a long time ago. Jamie Nussbaumer and Nick Masterton opened. Nussbaumer won, Masterton six. And then it reads, duck, 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 duck. <laughs> <laughs> Was that batsman three to eight? Yeah. All ducks. Batsman three, batsman three to six were all bold Murray for ducks. Dave Knight, a duck. Andy Orm, a duck. Charlie Allen a duck, Arian Green a duck, Ross Allen a duck, Gordon <laughs> McRae a duck. I like this, name and shame. Yeah, Gordon McRae, London Cross one, Gordon McRae a duck, LBW Burst. And then then Seb Chick came in, made two, not out, he finished. And then just unbelievably, <laughs> A. Kerr, number 10, and A. Bayfield, number 11. I mean... I do think you've got to ask questions <laughs> of the selectors. I think don't point all the blame at the players because... Aker, <laughs> Anthony Kerr, was coming in at number 10 as a specialist batsman. You were a wicketkeeper, but Seb Chick was also a wicketkeeper. He had the gloves. I, I completely didn't realise this, you know, looking back. You were picked 
to bat, <laughs> literally to bat at 10. Although it kind of paid off because what were you well, second I, top score? Well, that's just, exactly. It's one of my finest moments, I think. <laughs> so having gone one six, duck, 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 <laughs> two, Kerr, three. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal knock at the, uh, at the tail there. The tail really wagged for us. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure if they scored it right because according to the scorecard, uh, according to the scorecard, I made three singles before getting out. Mm. I, in my memory, I sort of paddle swept my first ball for two. But I may, have, I may be misremembering. In your memory, you skip down the wicket and reverse hit a six over square leg. Yeah, quite. Anyway, so I, I made three, promptly got out LVW to burst as well, like, like McRae. And then you came in and were cleaned up for a duck just to complete the route, 13 all out. I have a really, have a really clear memory of walking out at 13 for nine and just shaking my head in, in sheer embarrassment, shame, humiliation. You know, I'd done my job. I'd done my job with the ball. Acres walking back, very smug that he's made three. And I go up to Seb and I'm like, Seb, you know, let's at least try and make this respectable, mate. I mean, come on, we can't be bowled out for this cheaply. Let's just try and bat out the overs, maybe see if we can get up to 30, 40, you know, something something better than the Isle of Wight. Uh, and Seb was like, yeah, okay. He was like, yeah, let's just sort of block it out. Uh, blocks two, third ball, massive swing, completely <laughs> missed, clean bowl. Yeah. Well, hang on, Chip is not out. So did they get that wrong, do you think? Were you oh, not no, out? no, I mean, I, I, oh, I, did, did, right? I did a massive swing. Yeah. No, Chick very patiently yeah. followed my instructions. <laughs> I, I went for a huge swipe, uh, full pint, middle stump. Uh, yeah, as you say, batsman three to eight, all got, all got ducks. One of those batsmen, Ross Allen, who uh, has gone on to be a, a star of, of the Guernsey FC football team found much more success in football than in cricket we were talking about this with Ross the other day going over the scorecard and uh he remembered uh which which I had forgotten that he came back so as you say three to eight all ducks and in fact I think you've got the scorecard not me but I was everyone bold apart from Ross um in three to eight well out of the whole scorecard uh no there, there was a couple of there was a couple of LBWs a couple of court but certainly uh batsman one Three, four, five, and six were all bowled by Murray. Okay, so then and <laughs> Murray. So then Ross, Ross comes in at seven and he's out for a duck, but caught. I think he hit one to point or something. And apparently, when he came back to the dressing room with the score like five for six or something, we were all patting him on the back and high fiving and going, "Well done, Ross! You got bat on ball." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So anyway, yeah, the, the, yeah it, it reads thirteen total for ten wickets. The, the whole ordeal lasted 16.4 overs. Remarkable. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I was thinking, my, you know, you talk about memory playing tricks on you and, you know, did you paddle sweep that? You remember paddle sweeping it for two, but did they get the scoring wrong or is your memory wrong? I was thinking there's something very strange going on with my memory or this kind of shows, you know, the sort of flaws in memory because I remember very clearly that we missed the 2001 Wimbledon men's final Rafter Ivanisevic, one of the famous Wimbledon finals, to play that game. And I remember us like getting updates on the tennis while we were playing. But then when the date appeared on the scorecard, 10th of July, um, I looked it up and I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense because the Wimbledon final was the 9th of July. But I've just checked. Famously, it rained on Sunday and they, it's one of the only Wimbledon finals to be played on Monday. So I am right. I am great at memory. Well done. I know I do I do vividly remember that actually. Well I think we're probably more interested in the tennis <laughs> yeah. than the cricket, but 
obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, you know, on the off chance, is anyone listening from Maudlin under 14s? from 2001 get in touch what are your memories yeah. of the match <laughs> they've got a very different <laughs> podcast they probably went home being like why the f- did we come to guernsey what a waste of time this was all right well anyway that is going to be your lot for the world cricket show this time because we've really gone on um but you know it's good to be back tone it's good to be back um and uh let's not leave it so long next time let's come back soon to discuss yeah ipl blast various things are going on there's quite a bit of international cricket slated for the winter um you know pandemic permitting so lots to look forward to there uh, but in the meantime if you enjoy the podcast there's various ways you can get more involved in it we're on social media facebook twitter instagram i'm sure you'll find us you can send us an email worldcricketshow at gmail.com and if you do enjoy the show then we'd really appreciate uh, a rating and or a review on itunes or wherever you listen to it because that really does help with the algorithms and uh, bring more people to the show. And I wanted to say as well, um, we're really grateful that people have supported us on Patreon over the last few years. But I think you agree, Tone, that just at the moment, I don't really feel comfortable asking people to uh, to part with their money for us to do this because we're going to do it anyway. We're not providing a huge amount of additional content on Patreon. And given the current situation, um, you know, both of us are very lucky to be in jobs that aren't directly threatened by the pandemic. So, you know, I'd, yeah, as I say, this is as much as we love doing it and as much as we, you know, um, take it seriously, this is ultimately a hobby for us. So, you know, if you want to keep subscribing on Patreon, absolutely great, but, you know, don't feel obliged <laughs> to keep doing it. It's not, it's not the most important thing in the world at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And we've been somewhat tardy with, um, yeah, with our schedule, but we, I think I think the the certainly the ambition is there to to be a bit more regular over the next few weeks. We've probably said that fifteen times, I reckon, <laughs> uh, over the last yeah ten years. Mm. But um, but anyway, that that is the ambition. Yeah, certainly. it'll happen. It'll happen. All right. Well, uh, that's about it. I think. Um, stay in school, everyone. I don't know if I should keep saying that. It's kind of <laughs> politically controversial <laughs> now. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, we will be back soon, and we'll talk to you then. Cheers, Tone. Cheers. Bye bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market